Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. My name is Chandro Tar. Sandy Clough is on my left. You would know that if you were on MileHighSports.com or at the free Mile High Sports app because you could be watching it as well. The great Danny Bailey is in the booth. It's your program as well. 303-831-1340 is the number. We will start with the Denver Broncos after Wild Card Weekend comes to a close. Uh, you and I were right, and you were on it a well almost a week ago, Sandy. That the Eagles were a mess; uh, they looked like a mess, and of course they're out. We'll get more to them uh, later in that sort of bizarre collapse of a season that Philadelphia had. But the Denver Broncos had their own sort of bizarre season—a terrible start. A lot of that blamed on quarterback Russell Wilson, a middle which Wilson deserves some credit for, but was primarily driven by the defense. And then an end that fell apart, which had something to do with the coaching as well. I'm thinking back to Coach Sean Payton taking two timeouts as the New England Patriots are trying to play for the tie and giving them two extra timeouts play as for it goes along. Right, exactly. And then switching to Jared Stidham uh, against two teams playing out the string as the Broncos were too. And now they go into the offseason with a bunch of questions. And for whatever reason, Russell Wilson's future is still on a lot of people's minds. And so I, I thought we could start oh, off. Oh, it's definitely on a lot right. of people's minds. And you There's and I an could start this right off. today on ESPN.com there was. about Russell Wilson. There was, and, and it makes sense. But it's about Russell Wilson's future. Yes. And correctly, Russell Wilson's future, not in Denver. Because I think you want to take a couple minutes here, and you and I can nip this in the bud. This idea that because the Broncos have reportedly said the door isn't closed for Russell Wilson's return. Well, they, they have said that public. Right. Let's stop this. Russell Wilson <laughs> will never wear a Denver Broncos uniform again under any circumstances. It's over. It's done. Ignore what anybody else tells you because they're just spinning the narrative that Dove Valley wants you to hear for various reasons, which we'll dig into, too. But right here, Russell Wilson is done. As a Denver Bronco, it's over, period. No other thing makes sense. You're exactly right. Can you even envision anything? No, I can't. And I I think we need to remind people, some in our business, to be frank, that through the NFLPA, Russell Wilson filed a grievance Mm -hmm. against the Broncos and yes, through the NFLPA, which presented the grievance officially to the NFL's management council. That's a fact. That was done. Clearly, 
some degree of muscle pressure was placed on Russell Wilson during the bye week to defer payment on his injury guarantee reportedly by one year. Right. From 2025 to 2026. His contract presently runs through 2028. He refused to do that. Along with the request that he defer his injury guarantee, which is essentially his 2025 salary of $37 million. Mm -hmm. If he did not do that, there was at least an implied threat that he would be benched. Remember the Broncos were not one and five at the time, but they weren't six and five either. Right. They were three and five just off a streak-breaking victory over the Kansas City Chiefs against whom the Rockers had lost 16 straight games. And this came during the bye week. Um, a week in which a lot of fall all goes on, and not just in Denver, but in other cities as well. Uh, players get moved. Uh, good players get cut. Uh, that's happened here before. Mm-hmm. It's part of the bye week even when things seem to be going relatively well, I think teams have a sense that folks aren't paying attention as closely during a bye week as they might otherwise. So they try to kind of sneak things through because they're not necessarily going to be in the headlines that week. Uh, This one could have been exposed immediately by Russell Wilson. I thought, and you agree with me, I believe, that he showed considerable professionalism Yes, in oh. not coming out at the time and airing his grievance publicly. Especially he could have done that. When we know now that he was not aware he was going to be the starter in Buffalo until the morning of the game. That's what he This said. is after a whole bye week. That's what he said, yes. No, well, no, and, and no That's point did the Broncos said. refute it. No, no. And, and, and that's another point I'm glad you made, and you've made it before, and I suppose I've made it over the last few weeks as well. Right, like in court, when someone this says something, what, objection, they want to bring their side in. If you just let it slide, hey, you're they, 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 admitting that the to Broncos evidence. did not object. They did not refute. Uh, they parsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they refused at last week's press conference to say that they had sought a renegotiation, which was an interesting omission because that's exactly what it was. They called it merely a negotiation in an attempt to make it seem normal. Right. Part of an everyday event, except when players do it, teams and fans at times scream bloody murder, a contract's a contract. But when the team tries to pull a fast one, then, well, it's the normal course of business. It's a tough business, and we negotiate hard. We're polite about it, but I don't know how polite it could ever be in any context to ask someone to forego a $37 million injury guarantee when... Russell Wilson during the course of the season up until he was benched 
was the only quarterback in the league in his 30s, apart from Jared Goff, who played and started every game. Right. The only one. The only one. Aaron Rodgers lasted two plays. With three weeks to go in the regular season, 11 of the 16 starting quarterbacks in the AFC were backups. 11. And for Russell Wilson to look at at any point in the season, and these injuries started happening early. You know, we know that uh, you talked about Rodgers. Joe Burrow played hurt early, and then his season came to an end uh, early. We know a lot about these, a lot of these injuries. You know, Deshaun Watson had challenges at that point, too, that then led to Joe Flacco. Eventually. Wilson would have been bought out of everything in your contract to renegotiate, especially given the climate of the time and his age and the fact that he was hurt last year. Yes. Playing for the Broncos. Yes, he That's was. the last thing if he, I were Russell Wilson concussed. that I would be interested he had in negotiating. a shoulder injury, other ailments as well that caused him to That's miss That's the last thing games. on the list I would think about. I'm like, That's the one thing I'm not moving. Exactly right. I play in a, in a sport where it's dangerous, where I've already been hurt, where the hits can take out quarterbacks, where it happens week in and week out in this league, and you want me to waive or at least alter that part of my contract? And help bail out the Broncos. Right. And... And the idea also that is addressed in this particular piece that we're talking about today on ESPN.com, the idea that he would uh, be of a mood to do the Broncos any favors here in the new year, preposterous after the way the Broncos tried to push him around last fall. Uh, There's just nothing that I can think of that would compel Russell Wilson to give the Broncos any kind of break. And as this piece outlines, the Broncos have options, but uh, I don't know if any of them are inexpensive. And <laughs> No, there aren't. You know, in, in, in a sport where you had two first-time playoff quarterbacks over this past weekend mm-hmm. go 16 for 21, one for 274 yards, the other for 272. They both had three touchdown passes and zero interceptions in the game, and they both had a passer rating of 157.2. C.J. Stroud the, and the, Jordan the Love. The value of experience, perhaps not as great. The Broncos are going to have to give Russell Wilson his release. Yes. That's what it's going to come down to. And if you're but Russell Wilson, why would you let them have anything silly. else? Silly. And... Russell Wilson gets a chance to become something I don't think he ever thought he would be, a free agent. Certainly not in the closing years of his career. When he signed that deal with Denver, the last thing on his mind was that two years into his Bronco career, he'd have a chance to become a free agent. And if you look at the the landscape around the NFL right now, we just talked about all those injury situations. I get that he is not the player he was. It's also hard to parse what kind of player he is now because Sean Payton didn't do him any favors because obviously he was trying to get rid of him. And that's something that in when you look at it in hindsight, which is something actually you and I looked at in real time, yes, but especially looking at hindsight, if it is not an outright sabotage, I don't think it is because I don't think Sean Payton can stand losing. It is certainly understanding that I'm not necessarily going to put Russell Wilson in spots where he's the most comfortable. I'm going to only put Russell Wilson in spots where I'm the most comfortable with Russell Wilson, which is to say not very many. The fairest thing you can say about Sean Payton 
was that this was always square peg round hole. You had an instinctive passer or instinctual Mm -hmm. who made his living in Seattle on improvisation. Correct. Not on throwing the ball 35 times a game because he didn't. He averaged 30. But improvisation was the name of his game. Deep throws outside the numbers. Running into a coach who has always been a timing and rhythm coach who wants predictability. Correct. Almost demands it. Uh, predictability is Almost I think Sean Payton's it. top priority as a quarterback. Right. Predictability. Absolutely. And someone who surgically, as Drew Brees did for all the years in New Orleans under Sean Payton's coaching, tutelage, instruction, whatever you want to call it. He wants a quarterback who dices the defense bit by bit by bit, just dices up the defense. Which is a perfectly inside solid the numbers, approach. not outside and the numbers. And that's a, that's a perfectly valid approach to defend Sean Payton's at least strategic right. acumen. Right. That is a perfectly that's valid approach, which a lot which you'll see quarterbacks do left and right. As a matter of fact, all you have to do now is look at the adjustment, and I get it was not his best career, but the adjustment that Patrick Mahomes made this year, which is still an improvisational quarterback to an extent. But this is a guy that has done, as defense has backed off, not letting him have the deep throws, decided in between the numbers to start dicing defenses six, right. seven yards at a time. It's a perfectly valid strategy that can be effective in today's NFL. So I'm not suggesting that what Peyton wants is unreasonable. In and of itself. In it's and not. of itself. Right. Correct. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily it. This just wasn't a fit from the get-go. Over at ESPN. It wasn't personally or professionally no. ever going to be a fit. And the line of Peyton that was in Seth Wickersham's story, and we talked back in August mm-hmm. about this with Seth Wickersham himself. Yes. And we kind of laughed about it because we didn't think, and I still don't think, the quote, again, set apart from everything else that we know about Sean Payton not wanting Russell Wilson around from day one, really. Correct. No Um, shock. This seemed a kind of observation that we would make, wise guys that we are. (laughs) Remember the quote that he gave to Seth Wickersham about what he had told Russell Wilson early on after he became the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Stop kissing babies. You're not running for public office. Russell Inc. needs to be drawn down, at least by you. Your priority needs to be football, and by priority, I mean 24-7, 365. And coming off of a, his worst season of his career, that wasn't an unreasonable it suggestion at the time. And I thought it was kind of a, a, I would never associate Sean Payton with a cute line, but I thought it was, it was a cute line. I mean, it yes. There, there was truth in that demand, and I would have hoped that any head coach coming in here and back of Nathaniel Hackett, who was fine with Russell Wilson kissing babies and setting up shop on the second floor, as was general manager George Payton, who the last time I looked is still the general manager of the Denver Broncos for reasons that I don't entirely hmm. understand. Yeah, but that's a discussion as well. That's part of the dysfunction uh, out in Dove Valley. But that line should have given us 
a hint. And uh, the the analysis today on ESPN.com through reporting and analysis, and these are analytics people who, you know, engage in some reporting. And I think the piece was written by Jeremy Fowler, if I'm not it mistaken, was. Jeremy ESPN, Fowler, right. who is a reporter first and relies on analytics, but he's a reporter first. And he spoke with executives, particularly from the American Football Conference, for this piece. And they said this about the five-game winning streak and what happened and what might have changed. And obviously, they were saying this in a way that reflects well on Sean Payton, that he changed his offense a little bit for Russell Wilson. There were more half-field reads um, with an available checkdown based on coverage and a freedom to do what we saw him do, use his legs to extend plays, not throw footballs up for grabs. And if you did that, the only person, the only person who had even the slightest chance of catching the pass was your guy. Right. And you remember Wilson's numbers, especially during the five-game winning streak, were exemplary, particularly in, in relation zone, yeah. to touchdowns versus Exactly. Right. It's it's an interesting fit. And for the Broncos, keep in mind, you know, that the, they're saying the door's not closed. It's closed. Secondarily, the idea, well, you might be able to trade him, and, and the Broncos no, the Broncos only have six picks in this draft, by the way, including no second rounder. The Broncos might be able to trade away some of their picks to get someone to take Wilson off their hands. Here's the deal. One, um, why would anyone do that? Two, well, Houston and Cleveland engaged in that kind of deal for Brock Osweiler how to, once upon yeah, a time. How'd it go for either of those? Not well. And one could argue they also did that for Deshaun Watson, yeah. and uh, Cleveland is out, and Houston is in. Yeah, and that's right. And Deshaun Watson yeah. was there no one's the going, other day no one's when do Cleveland that. got wiped out by him. And moreover, Russell Wilson's not going to do that. No. And he has a no trade. So if Russell not Wilson doesn't want to take a trade, why would you Why would you accept a trade when you can become a free agent? Exactly. You can go to whatever exactly. team you want. Even if the trade was to the team you wanted, why do the team that made you look bad any favors on the way out? And this league, this year, uh, we talked yesterday, you did, um, quite astutely, about how goaltender save percentage has gone down in hockey over the last several years, mm-hmm. year by year by year by year, and it's gone from 9.15 being average, something like now that. Now it's just barely Now nine. it's 9.03 yeah, or 9.02, something yeah, like that. Barely 90%. Okay. Uh, quarterback performances this year generally turned down yes. from previous years or the previous year. Russell Wilson had 454 fewer yards passing than he did last year, if you can believe that. Now, his efficiency was much greater. Look at his QBR numbers mm-hmm. last year, this yeah. year. And QBR wasn't difference. even his strong suit compared to passer rating. 454 fewer yards than he had last year with five more pass attempts this year, even though he was benched late in the year. 6.8 air yards per attempt was a career low for Russell Wilson and ranked him 37th out of 48 quarterbacks who threw at least 100 passes in 2023. Now, where do you put him? Uh, 6.8 yards per attempt. That's behind Pickett, Stick, Howell, and Mac Jones. Wow. And the class of quarterback 
right now, I, I would say middle level tier or tier three, middle of the pack tier three quarterback. I, I think that's probably better than Mac Jones. I think it's probably better than Jimmy Garoppolo or Riddick or Pickett or Howell or Dobbs. But it's not necessarily in an entirely different classification. It's kind of where he is. He's ahead of those guys, but not, not by a lot. But even given that, a quarterback with his kind of ability even though he doesn't do the things he used to do. The deep ball isn't as good. His mobility is not as great. His accuracy overall is probably... Yeah, it's, 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 it's diminished. Sure. Diminished. That comes with, comes with arm However strength. However sure. you choose to define that, uh, completion percentage actually is, is around career norms. But it, he's unquestionably a guy who needs a very strong running game, and a good defense. There are places like Pittsburgh, the team you mentioned, who could give him that. And uh, there are places, if Minnesota doesn't sign Cousins, Tampa Bay doesn't sign Mayfield, uh, Atlanta with Bill Belichick, perhaps headed for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he interviewed there it's today. A lot of options. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, maybe he's a better option. Uh, especially if Mike Tomlin remains in Pittsburgh, which I guess is somewhat of a question after he walked out on his press conference last night. And even New England, even New England without Bill Belichick, a possible landing spot for Russell Wilson. Well, why then are the Broncos bothering with suggesting the door isn't 100% closed? Why would they even discuss that when everyone knows they're moving on? Well, we can explain that too. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Talking about Russell Wilson's future, which is not with the Denver Broncos. Your thoughts on that as well. 303-831-1340. Love to hear them. Do you believe what you're hearing out of Dove Valley? Well, Sandy and I don't, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why I don't in this case, and I think it's pretty clear. I suspect, Sandy, you're a somewhat similar mind. Presuming that the way things were parsed, and I think you laid it out beautifully a couple minutes ago, that Russell Wilson is at least more or less accurate when he said he was pressed to remove his injury or at least alter his injury clause in his contract, or he'd be benched, uh, and he didn't even know he was going to be starting after that whole bye week until the morning of the Buffalo game. Broncos haven't directly pushed back on that, and the Broncos, like most NFL teams, will directly push back on things that they know are not accurate. Part of this now, the idea that Russell Wilson could come back, look, this is more just trying to mitigate the damage. The Broncos got caught with their hands in the cookie jar, and the union served them notice. The NFL has kind of let it sit for now, but Sean Payton has a deep-seated belief, this is not me speculating, this is his own words in the USA Today prior to the season, 
that Roger Goodell is out for him. That well, Roger I can't Goodell, throw the wicker piece, yeah, too. and has a thing is is out for him. The Goodell's been notably silent on this whole thing, despite the fact this is going to result in the biggest dead cap hit in NFL <laughs> history. That this is a, a, a former crown jewel organization in the NFL that was sold for the most of any team in history right up until the most recent team, and that'll continue to happen. But the wealthiest owners in the league own the Denver Broncos. Roger Goodell's been notably silent. And I think the Broncos are understanding they're trying to back, but oh, well, we, there could still be some room. Well, we could negotiate a trade. If Russell Wilson wanted to go somewhere, we, we'd, we'd accommodate him. This is an effort, and it's two-pronged, in my opinion, Sandy. It is an it is an effort by the Broncos, and by the way, that on the football side, the Broncos and Sean Payton are one and the same. George Payton works for Sean Payton. Everyone works for Sean Payton, period. Okay? The ownership side is slightly different, but even they, to an extent, really work for Sean Payton. When you got in the Sean Payton business, he runs the show. He knows football more than they know it. He knows the NFL more than they know the NFL. Um, I, I gave Penner credit last week, actually, for saying at one point, uh, they, they were Could talking I, about the uniform change, right? Right. He said, I just always thought if you want to change uniforms, you inform the league, and the next year you had new uniforms, oh. and it doesn't work oh, no, that no, way. No, no, no. And he, and he was, he was self-deprecating stuff. the way yeah. he said it, and it was fine. Uh, some of us who have followed the NFL for a long, long time, know that, yes, changing uniforms, and, and I'm not talking about having 15 different right. alternate jerseys. I'm talking about changing the basic Your base, right. uniform, right? That takes a long time. They have the, to go through a lot of bureaucratic with, with nonsense. With partners and all that sort right. of stuff. But th- this, what the Broncos are doing with Wilson, I think, is, is two-pronged. One, they are trying to avoid the wrath of the NFLPA and the looming specter of Goodell, who is, I think, becoming increasingly absent by his lack of commentary. Now, in the past decade or so, Roger Goodell has, unfortunately, had a comment or two on the Denver Broncos in his State of the League address over the week prior to the Super Bowl almost every year, for years. Might be doing it again. Might be on this issue. But... The Broncos are trying to mitigate that by indicating, oh, no, purely a football decision. Uh, we were out of it anyway. We wanted to see a spark. Russell might be able to come back. Uh, you know, whatever they're throwing out. Oh, if Russell Wilson wants a trade, we'll try to accommodate him, knowing that uh, Russell Wilson doesn't have to want a trade. He can pick any team he wants. Or you or you can just pay him. He'll take that, too. But you're not going to, and he knows it. But all this is to kind of hold off the NFLPA and the NFL from making this uglier because it could happen. The other part of it, is for the remaining fans, and there are plenty of them, I speak to a lot of them, that look at it and say, well, Russell Wilson wasn't as good as I thought, so right. the, the heck with him, I don't care what happens, exactly. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, they're counting on those fans to scapegoat Russell Wilson and leave the Broncos out of it if they eventually have to move up. Well, we tried to trade. Let me. I'll tell you, the, uh, spoiler alert, folks, mm-hmm. this is coming. Well, we tried to trade Russell Wilson. We tried to trade him, but he he wouldn't waive his no trade, and that's how that, so we had to release him. That is coming. Mark my words. You can record it right now. Thursday, you know, it's Tuesday, January sixteenth, four thirty one p.m. Bookmark it. The Broncos will be saying something like that soon enough. We tried to trade Russell Wilson, but we just couldn't find a fit. You know, Russell didn't find what he wanted. That's coming. You've because- heard of teams criticizing players after they're gone, right? You ain't seen nothing. Correct. Yet. The, because he, look, Russell Wilson's out the door already. He cleared out his locker and he knows it's not getting refilled. 
So the Broncos are trying to, one, make it seem as if they're still trying to, oh, no, this was a total football thing, no big deal, even though they know it's not, but for appearances' sake, because the NFL in general, right, protect the shield, if you can make it at least not look so bad, the league is historically willing to gloss over a lot. Uh-huh. So the NFL, that that's part of this yes. process. The second part of it is to make sure, because Sean Payton is staying and Russell Wilson is not, to ensure that the fan ire as much as possible is pointed at the guy on the way out the door as opposed to the guy who's still in it who wants you to buy season tickets. That's what the Broncos are trying to do. And it's just that simple. And they're, at the moment, planning to do both of these things simultaneously. And you know what, Sandy? Here's the thing. Maybe I'm being cynical. I think it's probably going to work with a large segment of the Broncos population. And yeah, maybe we, even the we NFL. might quibble over how large a segment, but it's the old line. Uh, you can fool some of the people some, some of, the, of time. the time, and the Broncos are counting on that. You can't fool all the people all of the time, but you can fool some of the people and they're some of the to, time. They're counting on Wilson's professionalism just to keep it quiet, not right. rock the boat, go get his, right. join his new team right. and go on with his life and hopefully make it look smooth enough that Goodell doesn't have to deal with it. Because I would imagine now, after Bounty Gate, and then after this, Roger Goodell, somewhere in the back of his head, has got to be like, this guy, again, comes right back into the league. In his first and year. And now I have to deal with this yeah. again. So I imagine Goodell is more than willing to wade into it, and it probably wouldn't end up well for Sean Payton, but he'd really rather not. And if the Broncos can ra- give him... He'd much rather not. If the Broncos can give Goodell enough cover to just, you know, know, like when you have a dog and the dog knows they did something wrong, like they chewed part of the couch and and you you want to scold the dog, but the dog just sort of looks past you. You know what I mean? When they do that, dog just kind of looks past your ear, like ignores that you're there. Like, "Hmm, oh, oh, were you saying something? That's what Roger Goodell is hoping the Broncos give him enough to get, oh, oh, I was just over there. And it might work, but it might not work. And until we find out how this all pans out, I think the Broncos are aware that they're treading water and they can't go forward. So this is this is a, a challenge. Like we mentioned before, the uh, text line 303-831-1340. Danny Bailey's on top of that. And Danny, what have you got? Yeah, we got two. The first one from Broncos 60 says, Russell Wilson doesn't look as bad as some other QBs. Look, Sean Payton lost three games for Broncos country, not Wilson. Only three? Yeah, I'll take it. All right, what else you got? And then from Man of the People, he says, Guys, Russ refuses to throw in the middle of the field, watching the games over the weekend for the part, and the winning QBs stay in the pocket. Russ kills the offensive line when he moves after one look. Let me double check. Is Josh Allen still playing? Sandy, do you remember? Is uh, Lamar Jackson still playing? Is he going to be the MVP? I'm just trying to re- recall real quick here. Um, okay, is Baker Mayfield yeah, around as a pocket I, I, passer? I wouldn't buy into uh, all of that. Can Can you uh, win in the pocket? You, know, you bet. We're, we're, can you also win outside the pocket? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, Love Patrick and, and Stroud in particular would make subtle moves, which Brady and Manning used to make, and they weren't mobile. Well, Stroud's uh, best play of the game when he was almost at the right sideline. Within the pocket, yes, but it isn't quite as cut and dry right. as as all of that. And no, uh, 
Wilson is at best serviceable uh, with the right team with a very, very strong running game, which Denver did not have Correct. for whatever reason or reasons, with a very good defense. And I think Denver's defense pretty much improved across the board as the season went on. But there were occasional reminders, uh, particularly against the Raiders, uh, at the end of the year that, you know, the defense wasn't all of that. And uh, ESPN ranked its 100 most viable players. Piece came out today, and only one Bronco defender like no more, made the list. No more than two at maximum, And yeah. you had Patrick Sertan at 42. Now, uh, if you're looking for Justin Simmons, um, I don't know what Garrett Bowles was doing ranked 52nd instead of Justin Simmons being there. To my mind, Justin Simmons is the Denver Broncos' best player, I, period. I thought he had the best year. Now, was he the healthiest player? No. Uh, Bowles and Shatan, frankly, uh, to this point, known for their ability to stay on the field mm-hmm. and uh, avoid There's injury. There's value to that. Not, not I, gonna... was, I, I was shocked. That, uh, again, and this is one man's opinion, uh, putting this list together, that only Trent Williams, Lane Johnson, Penny Sewell, and uh, Tyron Smith of Dallas were ranked ahead of Bulls as tackles. Wow. That was shocking to me. And uh, that only uh, Sauce Gardner and Jalen Johnson were ranked ahead of Satan. So Satan so wouldn't have been as high as number that three. That doesn't surprise me in part because Without. the nature of the cornerback position, and you know this, Sandy, is more than almost any position on the field can be driven by reputation, right? Because you think back to a Champ Bailey, a lot of people just decided maybe we're not going to throw over there, and you don't see as much. And then by reputation, you assume, well, he must be one of the very, very best. Now, in Champ Bailey's case, he was. And Pat Sertan is very, very good, too. But the cornerback position has sort of a history of being evaluated on rep in a lot of ways. And it just shows again, though, that, so, you know, the players that were on there in the top 100, three for the Broncos, right? Two. Two, pardon me. Two. Yeah. And one get beat. And those were the two. And one being Garrett Bowles. And one had no business on the list. Somewhat, yeah. That was Garrett Bowles. Had no business on the list. Uh, And and I think, again, when – you say someone is overrated. People get all excited. We're saying he's not any good. He's a bad player. No, you're saying he's a good player who is treated as a great player. Patrick Sertan is a good corner is treated as a great one. He is not a great cornerback. Not at this point. I always look at those sort of rankings and figure, would I trade the person? Would I trade the guy there for someone ahead of him on the list? Right, that's the way I look at it. That's I, that's I how I would Patrick rank it. Sutan every day of the week for Sauce uh, on that list, for example. And, and, and I'm not and trying there to are three or four other cornerbacks on ESPN at 57. That's, and I get their different positions. 57 was the edge rusher Will Anderson from the Texans. He's better than that. five below Garrett Bowles. You tell me that uh, uh, teams you, wouldn't trade Will Anderson for Garrett Bowles straight up? You, you like gotta be kidding. <laughs> every day of the week. You gotta be I mean, some of that's a little well, bit silly. And, see, Garrett Bowles had a great game against Miles Garrett, but so did Penny Sewell the other day. Right. And Penny Sewell has had a career's worth of games against it, Miles Garrett, in which he has basically shut him. And it turns down. out that Miles Garrett, by the tail end of the year, was playing hurt, as right. we know. And, right. and, no, and, that's, and we get that's it. true. But to to 
make your season. And these are people doing these races, the exact same people who say, well, you can't judge a guy by one game. But that's what they're doing with the uh, How many Bowles. games of the Denver Broncos just, were they really watching? None. Yeah. And maybe they were paying attention to the Cleveland game because Miles Garrett, wow, Miles Garrett was going to destroy the Broncos by himself. And Garrett Bowles rose up and had a very good game. Garrett Bowles wasn't bad otherwise, nope. but he was very ordinary and very overrated. Uh, Garrett Bowles is 31 years old, and there's a very, very good chance, not as good a chance as Wilson leaving, but a very good chance that Garrett Bowles will never again wear a Bronco uniform. Um, I, I'm not saying they have a suitable replacement Pro for football him, focus certainly around Andy. right now, but if Garrett Bowles is one of the top five tackles in the NFL, then I, I wonder about the person making that judgment well, who's, I've got who's watching any football. Pro football focus. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of touch this and move on. Overall rankings among tackles this regular season. Number one, Sewell. Maybe not a shot. He's, I think he's the best. Number two. And Laramie Tunsil's very good. Trent Williams. I, mean, I, I said Penny Sewell. Obviously. And I meant, I meant Laramie Tunsil has a career's worth of games. Yes, yes. Uh, Sewell over the, yeah. Dominated With Detroit, obviously. I, I misspoke. Uh, Sewell and Williams, number one. Tyron I'm Smith, obvious. number five. Yeah. Okay. Garrett Bowles, number 21. The twenty number no, the twenty first ranked tackle tackle in the NFL. Do I think According he's to a top twenty focus. tackle. I don't know, maybe, but he's certainly not a top but five tackle. But if you're in the top twenty in tackles, you're not one of the top fifty five players in the league. No, of course not. I mean, it's I looked at the that, math does not and it's, work out. You know, you go through this exercise which they do on uh, uh, shows from time to time. Who does not belong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And in that area, certainly, Wasn't between that 50 Sesame and Street, 60, one of these things is not I, like I, the other I can ones. see yeah. nine guys who might have been ranked higher, but they're, they're basically in the same area that they should be in. And then there's Garrett Bowles. We'll get back to the Broncos a little bit later, what? but the Colorado Avalanche came up a little bit short uh, last night in Toronto. They get back at it tonight and took a shot. After the game from the newest Avalanche spokesman, Devon Taves, who wasn't quite as fiery as he was a few weeks ago, but once again critiqued harshly the Avalanche performance. Well, they'll have an opportunity to put it into action tonight, second night of a back-to-back for the Avs. We'll take a look at them next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sammy shoots, it's deflected over the top. Oh, Jake Allen did not see that shot, just missed the top corner, that was in. Up top for Kale, one-timer, score! Kale McCarr rockets from way downtown, and the Avs have taken a 2-1 lead over the Montreal Canadiens. That, of course, is the sound of uh, folks at L2 TV, Mark Mosier, Mark Rycroft, on the call. The Avalanche fall 
to the Montreal Canadiens as uh, Joel Armia scores the game winner with about 4.10 left. On the clock, Kale McCarr with a three-point night, a goal and two assists, as you heard right there, playing nearly just a couple seconds shy of 30 minutes last night. Nathan McKinnon, by the way, only a couple seconds up to uh, short of 29. Right. Miko Randon at 29-18. Jonathan Duran at 27-09. This team isn't going to lean very heavily on that top line for a while, with Valerian Chushkin being gone. While and it is, the top defense team. Yes, while it is possible that uh, Arturi Lekkonen, who's on the trip, could potentially return near the tail end of it. He won't be in tonight when they take on right. Ottawa. Presumably the backup goaltender, which is Eustace Anunen will be in he net. Ivan uh, Prosvetov had a, a a bad outing last time. Jared Bednar does not have much of a doghouse, but Prosvetov appears to have found it and appears to be dwelling in it at the moment, and the Avs are more interested in giving their top prospect another crack at it this evening. But Well, it's a good opportunity, and I understand Noonan's young, but he's not 19 or 20 either. No. And it's it's time to play big boy hockey. And I, I'm not saying he's the future answer as your starting goaltender, but uh, he at least should be prepared enough by now to serve as a backup for 2025 He's 23 games. years old. He'll turn 24 in March. and He's not a... You know, he's not a prospect anymore. I mean, you got to perform. Yeah. At this point, at this he's point, he's been it really in this does, organization for a long enough. It time. does feel like it. It's time to play. Yeah. And so I, I think there is something to that. Yeah. Drafted in the in the 2018 uh, draft. Right. 64th overall. So not an uh, insignificant uh, no, investment. No. And I think the Abs have expectations, and it probably is uh, is is worth it. There was an opportunity last year for him. He wasn't able to to lock that down, which is why the Abs went towards Prosvetov, who I'm not convinced cannot be an NHL backup. There are a lot of things to like. Well, how old is Prosvetov? He's at 25, right? I think Prosvetov's 25, yeah. He's not that much older Not that than much, Anderman. no. So, uh, you know, I I think Prosvetov is yeah. raw. Um, Ananen probably is uh, raw, too. But last night... Prosvetov turns 25 in March. So he's only 24. Right, so he's 24, and is it even less of a gap. Yeah. And this is just me, and I, I believe me, I'm not making excuses. Uh, you know, I was hearing last night about the avalanche bad luck. And, yeah, when they were up 2-1 in the second, which was their best period of the night, they hit a couple of posts. Montreal, in a 2-2 game, also hit a post. So I, I don't want to hear about how uh, unlucky the avalanche were last night. And I'm so, so I'm not making excuses here at all, and we'll hear from Taves in a moment, and he definitely wasn't making excuses. What I will say is this. Georgiev let in at least two bad goals last night, and I thought they were goals let in by a fatigued goaltender. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you. I think he's tired. I think he's tired. And I not only think if Ananun shows well tonight, I know it's Ottawa. If he shows well tonight, I wouldn't be averse to starting him in Boston on Thursday Well, like night. you said, it's time to play big boy hockey, right? Get out there and show you can do it. And right. and your job as a backup and, is to take the weight off right. of your starter. And so, hey, that's what you got to do. And wasn't Bednar himself the one who said earlier this year, hey, when we give Georgiev a break, we want it to be a real break. Right. Not just a day. In fact, I think, Not he's, just two fact, days. I think he suggested he'd like, like to give him a week. five or so. Yeah, exactly. Like five to seven days. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, rest. Someone's got to find a way playing. to do it. So, Annan, if he performs well tonight, I'd throw him out there again on Thursday. The game was tied last night, 3-3 three to three on Devon Taves' goal, his seventh of the season. It's one of those assists from a car, as we discussed, Rantana on the other. Taves, a couple weeks ago, almost surprisingly, somewhat mild-mannered guy, had some interesting responses to uh, not only the question, but more importantly, media members who are young and maybe want to get into this business. The follow-up question by Katie Goss. Kept him talking. Taves, after the game yesterday, for Altitude TV, went back at it. Didn't feel like this was a game where there was anything glaring that you guys you know, did or didn't do. Uh, how would you kind of assess the loss in this one? Yeah, just kind of an average performance by us. Not anything great, not anything overly bad either. Um, you know, good enough to be in the game, but not one where you you walk out and say you just kind of deserve to win either. So, um, you know, we didn't we didn't do enough as a team to to generate enough and, and defend hard enough tonight to. To you know, walk away with a win that we were confident in, and um, you know, bounces, whatever it is, happen, and, and they go the other way, and that's just kind of the night it was. That is Taves once again saying, again, effort is the problem. And what he said last time when he was talking to Katie, you heard it there as well, was that there were guys thinking they were playing their hardest, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, that really weren't, and it feels as Thought if maybe, they were playing well, and they right, and then maybe Taves hasn't backed off that and hasn't seen the changes. I don't think so. And he's the guy now you go to. Uh, I I think when you're looking for a critique after a loss like that, and he said to the writers, uh, a lot of average, same thing he told Katie, uh, not good enough. And the one thing he emphasized with the writers anyway, we got to drive play a bit more in a game like this. And he didn't say Montreal's a bad team. And Montreal, I don't need, Montreal's not a bad a team. Montreal's a team. mediocre team. They're 18, 18, team. and 7. It's mediocre. Hard to be much more right. mediocre. Right. <laughs> it, it, thoroughly <laughs> mediocre. And and they and they really can't score. There's no excuse for giving them four goals. And, they, and uh, you know, Georgiev wasn't great, but they had 34 shots on goal. That's ridiculous. Uh, playing against the Avalanche, I don't care where you're playing the game. Montreal should not have more than 20, at most 25 shots on goal. And they had 34 uh, and a lot of them were, as you would call the uh, and, and high the danger. Thirty five. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And and the last goal, I, I, the the one that won the game, uh, yeah, it's it's loose. But why does every loose puck? And it was a scramble that went on for ten or fifteen seconds, and Montreal kept finding the puck, and finally, the guy Army jams it through. And, and it was hard for me to fault Georgiev completely on that goal because the puck's just sitting there and Montreal keeps coming up with it. They yeah. outworked the avalanche in that respect. And I'm thinking you get a game like that into overtime, even a shorthanded avalanche team has more skill and they'll win either three on three or in the shootout. And, uh, you know, yes, Allen was better than Georgiev, but, not by a lot, not by a lot. And, uh, you know, he, here are the numbers. that it, it, The game of all no-hitting whatsoever. Yeah, it was definitely and, a skating it, game. It was right. a no-hitter. Fewer than 20 hits in the game combined. Very few penalties. Um, and I know the Avalanche are missing guys like Lekkanen and Nashushkin, who are great penalty killers. But Montreal had two power plays, and they scored two power play goals. 
that lost the game. He lost the game on the penalty kill. Simple as that. And I don't think the goaltending was great, and the goaltending could have bailed him out. He didn't need to play great. A good game from Georgiev, they might have won. But, I mean, come on. You go one for four on the power play, that's fine. Yeah. They're two for two on their power play. They can't score. Right. Their power play stinks. And here's the other one. You talk about a difference in effort because block shots are effort. Mm-hmm. That's commitment. Montreal had 25 block shots. The Avs had eight block shots. It, Taves was exactly right. It was, you know, six takeaways, nine giveaways, just a thoroughly average performance. And, uh, you know, the big guys brought it. Duran, Rantanen, McKinnon, Taves, McCarr. They all brought it. Everyone else, average. Well, Jared Bednar backed up Devon Taves again, saying after the game, there's not much to like in the final 40 minutes from our team. Second period was outstanding, but we had or trouble no, putting... Didn't he say there was not much not to like? Pardon me, not much not to like in the final 40 yeah, minutes. Second period was outstanding, but then finished, I thought the guys didn't look like we had our A game. No. From an energy standpoint, we right. didn't manage the puck exactly. as good as we normally do at times. At times. <laughs> That's you a nice talk about way, a qualifier nice of, uh, the way we normally do at Like, for times. example, when it's sitting in front of our net. <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but that's what the challenge was. The Avs fortunately have an opportunity yeah. to get right quickly. They do have an opportunity to kind of turn it around, flush it, because the puck drops in Ottawa in just about three minutes. We'll keep you up to date as that goes along. Yeah, we got two early games. As well, we got some early games, and we'll get to the Nuggets in just a little bit. But we'll turn our attention back to the Broncos with our friend Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette who will let us know what the Broncos' off-season to-do list starts with next on My Life Sports. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 